I want to ask you a, a question or in, in just a little bit. But first, I want you to think about church, right? Think about what church means to you. Because for some people, church is a place where we gather together to worship, right? To worship God. It's a, it's a place where we serve together. We meet in small groups and study God's word together and pray for each other. We, we send each other texts and emails to encourage one another. We, we speak the truth to each other for, for conviction and for life change. And, 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 and that's what church means for many of us. But for some of you here today, it doesn't mean just that. It means something else. For some of you here today, church is also this place of disappointment. It's a place of, of disillusionment. It's a place where maybe needs that you've had, maybe questions that you've had, maybe, maybe, maybe fears that you had um, have been covered up or not addressed. Maybe church is the place where you've taken those doubts and fears and, and questions and instead of getting someone who listens with compassion and someone who, who, who can open up their Bible with you, you got, you can't ask those questions here. Whether they said it that way or not, that's what you walked away with. And for some of you, that's what church means. Does this describe you? Right? Has church ever let you down before? Have church leaders ever let you down before? And maybe it was in small ways, or maybe it was in big, like traumatic ways that you were let down by the church. Have you found church to be a place where you can bring your persistent doubts, those ones that keep coming up, your real fears, not like, not like irrational fears, but your real fears or, or even your unanswered questions? The things that you read in the Bible and you're like, I don't know. Well, let me tell you, if you're new here today or even if you've been coming for a while, I think you're in a place today where that can happen. You're in a place today where, where those persistent doubts and, and, those, and those real fears and those unanswered questions are okay here. And that's why we're calling this, this series Unsubscribed because this is a series for those who, when thinking about their relationship with God, have these persistent doubts and real fears and, and lingering questions. It's a series for those who sometimes experience a relationship with God that honestly just doesn't make sense or sometimes those, that relationship with God just doesn't work the way you think it should. This is what this series is about. Because here's what we're gonna see. Because what we're gonna see today is that this series isn't just for you if you're new here today. It's for you, period. Because we all have these areas in our life where doubts reside. We all have this area in our life where fear resides reigns. We all have questions that are left unanswered. We all have a time where this faith that we hold so dearly doesn't work. At least it feels that way. My hope as we go through this next seven weeks in this series of unsubscribed, my hope and my invitation is for you 
to take those doubts, to take those fears, to take those lingering questions, and to see Jesus clearly in them. Because what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Bible of how people have interacted with Jesus and how Jesus has interacted with them. And all of these people have the same one thing in common. They all have doubts, they all have fears, and they all have regrets. And we're going to see how Jesus interacts with them. And over the next seven weeks, here's what I hope that we can all do, is we can all do this, that we can all meet Jesus again. Because we all have areas in our life where we need him. And so that's why we're calling this unsubscribed because this is an Easter series for those who have opted out of their faith. And maybe you haven't opted out of all of your faith, but maybe you have opted out of a, of a part of it. And our hope and our invitation today is specifically for you to believe again because that's what we're gonna see because today we're gonna see a person meet Jesus who believes and doesn't believe all at the same time. And what's interesting is as I've been talking to people about this series and as I've been talking to them about this sermon in particular, and I say, well, you know, we're going to talk about the guy whose son is, is, is possessed by an evil spirit and it looks like epilepsy and he, he goes to Jesus and he says, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. So many people have said, oh, he's like my favorite person in scripture besides Jesus, of course. He's my favorite person in scripture. You know, I have to throw that in because I'm a pastor, right? And, and they say over and over again, I love that guy. And you know why we love that guy? How many of you know this story? of the guy that says, I believe, but help me in my belief. How many of you, if you know this story, you relate to that guy, right? That's why everybody loves this guy, because we all believe and not believe all at the same time. And we're gonna see how Jesus interacts with this guy. And, and I think it's important because a casual reading of this, you would think Jesus is a little bit calloused in this interaction. We're gonna see something quite the opposite. We're gonna see Jesus lovingly and compassionately deal with belief and unbelief all at the same time. So we're gonna be in Mark chapter nine. We're gonna be in verses 14 through 29. If you need a Bible, there's one in front of you somewhere and it's on page 700 in that Bible. And listen, if you don't have a physical Bible, please take that one with you uh, because there is something good about holding a Bible in your hand. I know you've got it on your phone and I'm gonna tell you like you can download the Bible app and, and find us under events and find us under Fellowship Asheville and the scriptures are there. But I'm just telling you there's something powerful that happens when you hold a Bible in your hand on a consistent basis and read it. And, it, and, and I don't know why, but an app, an iPad is just different. If you don't have a Bible, please take that one with you as our gift to you. Uh, to have God's word in your hand. So it's on page 700 in that Bible. And as you're turning there to Mark chapter nine, I wanna tell you kind of where we are in the history of Jesus when, when, when we dive into the verses we're gonna look at today. Because uh, Mark is a writer of the gospels. And so, so most people believe he was young when he met Jesus. So he compiled these stories and, and, and he, he's communicating uh, the story of Jesus, the historical events of Jesus so that people will, will see that he is God and see that he is the servant and see that, that he is just like us human, but he's absolutely not like us and he's also God. And, and what I love about Mark is it's like this condensed version of the gospel. Well, his favorite word is immediately, right? Because he's in a hurry, I guess. I don't know. He's just writing fast and, and taking it down. And, but but in, in, in this section of Mark, he's talking about this event that happened to Jesus called the transfiguration. 
And so, so Jesus has 12 disciples, and he, he takes three of them, Peter, James, and John, up to the mountaintop because he wants them to experience this, this kind of special event with him. And so he takes them up to the top of this mountain, and then all of a sudden something happens to Jesus. And it says that his clothes began to shine whiter uh, than any, any laundry could do. And he, he began to become radiant. And so, so that's why it's called the transfiguration, because Jesus transfigured into this radiant uh, Jesus, right? And he's up there. And if that wasn't crazy enough for these three guys, Peter, James, and John, all of a sudden, two other people show up with Jesus. It's Moses and Elijah are there. And Jesus is just hanging out talking to Moses and Elijah. And Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets. And together, they're the entire Old Testament sitting there talking to Jesus and they're interacting. And the disciples are watching this. And it's gotta be blowing their mind because then all of a sudden it's over, right? And, 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 and they're like, we gotta... We gotta mark this. We gotta make this a place to worship. And Jesus shuts that down and, and they start heading down the mountains. I mean, imagine, imagine what it was like to be them experiencing this. But then imagine what it was like to be one of the other nine disciples who didn't experience this, right? Because that's what we're gonna walk into and see what they've been up to while these three were on their spiritual retreat with Jesus, right? Because what they were doing was kind of just the opposite of the transfiguration. Because this is what we're gonna walk into. So Jesus and the three disciples come off this mountaintop, and in verse 14, this is what happens. Mark chapter nine, verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes arguing with them. So they come down off the mountain, and there's this argument going on. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, that's Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he, being Jesus, asked them, the disciples, what are you arguing about with them, the religious leaders? Lots of pronouns in those verses, right? But so, so they come down off the mountain and Jesus sees this argument between the disciples and the religious leaders. And they're arguing. Now, now imagine this moment. You've come down from this mountaintop experiencing this incredible event, and what do you walk into? You walk into chaos, and you walk into conflict. You walk into church people, religious people arguing is what you walk into. Now, for some of you, does this describe your church experience? For some of you, this might be the reason you unsubscribed. A woman came up to me after the first service and she said, that was me. I was involved in my church for 20 years and the conflict got so bad I had to leave. She goes, I received healing and I'm back in church again, but I left because it was so bad. For some of you, you've unsubscribed because that's what your church experience has been like. And, and when you see this, you think, gosh, how can people, religious people, treat each other like they are? They're treating each other worse than, than, than people who don't know Jesus treat each other. And when, when this kind of experience happens, it can leave questions in your head and sometimes really big questions. But, but here's what we're gonna see. So this is what Jesus and the three disciples experienced was the nine disciples arguing with these religious leaders about something. But what we're gonna see is who that something is that they're arguing over. Because it's not Jesus, it's not the disciples, it's this guy who's in crisis. 
And now imagine if you're that guy that this argument broke out about. Because Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And look at verse 17. And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they were not able. Right, so here's the problem. This father has a son who's attacked by this, by this evil spirit. Now, somehow he knows it's an evil spirit, not just a physical ailment. The symptoms look a lot to us like epilepsy, and that's what this spirit would do, is it would cause this child to go rigid and have seizures and foam at the mouth, and it was this deaf and mute spirit, and obviously this father is concerned. But he knows it's a spiritual issue. And so, so this father heard about Jesus, or maybe he's seen Jesus heal before. We don't know what the history between he and Jesus is. We just know that he knew Jesus could help. And so he brings his crisis, he brings this child to Jesus. Unfortunately, Jesus was out for the day, right? And he got the disciples. And unfortunately, the disciples couldn't get the job done. Now, as we walk through this text, we're gonna learn from the disciples, and we're gonna learn from the father of the ch sick child. And I bet as we go through this, you're gonna relate to one or the other. You're gonna relate to the disciples, or you're gonna relate to the father of the sick child, or you're gonna relate to them both. Because if you relate to the father of the sick child, here's what this is gonna feel like. It's gonna feel like you're the person just like him who came with this real problem, this real crisis, to, 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 to Jesus. You came to the church because you knew this is the place where people come to find hope and to find healing. And, and maybe, and y'all, this is gonna sound bad, and this is a critique maybe on an experience that you've had here or maybe on an experience that you've had on, at another church. I'm not saying we are perfect, but maybe you came to the church seeking Jesus and all you got was his people. You know what I mean by that? You came seeking a savior and maybe you bumped into religion instead. And maybe your experience was like this guy's experience. The disciples just couldn't get the job done. Now, maybe you connect with the disciples. Here's what this feels like, right? We're not gonna give them a bad rap because we're just like them, right? There are times where our faith just isn't working. Right, Jesus had taught them and they had seen how to cast out demons and, and so they knew what to do and they were taking the steps but the problem is the steps just weren't working. And maybe you can relate to them. Maybe this is what your faith feels like. Maybe you are taking the steps but for some reason it's just not working. If this is you, if you relate to the father of the sick child, if you relate to the disciples, just hold on because no matter which one you relate to, we're gonna see something strikingly similar between both of them. And in both of them, there's hope. So no matter which one you relate to, hold on. First, we're gonna look at the disciples though because Jesus gives this clue why the disciples, why, why, they're, why it wasn't working for them, why they couldn't get the job done. Look at verse 19. And he answered them, oh, faithless generation. So, right, so the, he comes down this argument. He says, what's going on? This guy says, listen, I brought my child to you. I got the disciples. The disciples couldn't get the job done. And now this argument broke up. 
I don't know what's going on. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he looks at the crowd. He's not looking at the father because he wouldn't look at the father and call him a generation. He's looking at the disciples and he's looking at the crowd and he says, guys, where's your faith? Oh, faithless generation. Ouch is how that's supposed to feel a little bit. You see, those who were supposed to be the ones that modeled faith forgot it. They just forgot it. You see, faith, when I use the word faith, I mean this in its most simplest form. Faith is this. I'm not Jesus and I need Jesus. That's what faith is. Faith is I'm not and I need. That's the essence of belief. I'm not and I need. You see, in these disciples, they were with Jesus the most and yet they forgot. They forgot, I'm not Jesus, and I need Jesus. And we're going to see why in just a bit, how we know that they forgot. But here's what this means for you and me. If you relate to the disciples, here's what this means. There's a warning in here for us. For those who, who connect with the disciples' experience, there's this warning, and this warning is this. We can forget our faith, right? We can forget it. We can forget that we've got this, this, this God who loves us so much that he gave his son to die for us so that we could have this ongoing, personal, intimate relationship with that God. We can actually forget that we have that relationship. And we can go through our day and not even acknowledge God, not mention God. We can go through our day without faith. That's the warning here. You see, this, this warning that we can forget our faith, that we can opt out from time to time. But here's the joy of this story, too. We can always opt back in immediately. That God, who loves us, also has a deep compassion for us. Because look at Jesus' next couple of phrases, because the second response is very important. Without it, the first response would sound very callous. If Jesus, just, if Jesus just looked out and said, you faithless generation, and left it at that, he would be this mean, cruel, uncaring God. But look at what he says next, because it's here that we see this compassion. He says, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? And this term, bear with you, shows that, that, that whatever the disciples are experiencing, whatever the crowd is experiencing, this faithlessness that they have, Jesus feels the weight of it. And here's what's, what's interesting to me. If faith, in its simplest definition, is I'm not and I need, a lack of faith is just the opposite of that, and it is I can and I don't need. In other words, it's taking that weight and putting it on your shoulders. It's almost like you're saying, Jesus, I'll do you a favor this time, I got this, Right? But when we do that, Jesus feels that weight. So here's what that means. That means when we are walking in faith, not only do we experience the lightness of walking with Jesus, he experiences the lightness of walking with us in faith. That when we walk in our own strength and in our own power, for some reason it's not only heavy on us, it's heavy on Jesus as well. And I don't know how this works, but I think it needs to be said because when we forget 
we need Jesus, somehow he feels this and it doesn't go unnoticed. But we're about to see a better way, a way to opt back in because look at what Jesus does. He says, bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. All right, so, so here's, here's what Jesus says, bring the, boy, bring the boy to me. And because it's Jesus, because he's the son of God, this evil spirit did what this evil spirit does and he made the boy go into these convulsions and he made him, he made him, made him go rigid and foam at the mouth and all this stuff. And it's like this, this demon was showing off and almost like this demon was challenging Jesus. What are you gonna do about this now? And, and, and if you're the dad right now, Here's what just happened. You gave your son to Jesus and it didn't work. Your son is still being attacked. And see, I think there's a lie that we believe that we uh, think that when we bring something to Jesus, it'll get better right then. But y'all, here's what we're gonna see and this is important. When you bring whatever your crisis is to Jesus, whatever your thing is to Jesus, it might get worse before it gets better, but it will get better. Right? So church, hear me. It might get what? Worse. Before it gets what? But it will get better. Look at this. Because this might be the reason that you've opted out, because it got worse. Right? Maybe you started praying again, you started being around God's people again, you started reading your Bible again, but it didn't help. As a matter of fact, life just got worse. If so, I'm so glad that you're here today because watch what happens next in verse 21. It says, "In Jesus, because y'all, this blows my mind, by the way. In verse 21, and Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it's often cast him in the fire and into water to destroy him. But if he can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So here's what's happening. You, you, you kind of have to slow down sometimes in scripture and put yourself there to kind of see the impact of it. Because the, the, this father brought this son to Jesus and, 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 and gives him to Jesus or puts him down at Jesus' feet. We don't know, but all we know is this convulsion started happening. This, this seizure started happening and things got worse. And here's what Jesus does. He looks to the dad and says, so tell me about this. As his son is, is rigid and and, and convulsing and foaming at the mouth, he's like, he's like, so tell me, how are you doing with all this? What's life been like? And he focuses on the father instead of the son. Now, if I was that dad, I'd be like, dude, him, not me. Like, he's the one in crisis. I need this fixed. But Jesus focuses on the father. He, he interacts with the dad. And y'all get this, in the midst of crisis, in the midst of our crisis, Jesus is concerned about the relationship, right? Because in the midst of the crisis, Jesus has the crisis under control. You know, I imagine if you could see the spiritual world in that moment, that you'd see this demon showing off to Jesus and challenging Jesus, come on, what are you gonna do? And I can imagine Jesus going, hold on, I'll be with you in just a minute. And then turning to the dad and just ignoring the, 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 the calls of this demon because he's got that under control. This is an opportunity to connect with this dad in this moment of crisis. 
And you see, sometimes we think the crisis that we're experiencing is the most important thing. But to Jesus, it's not. Because Jesus is more concerned about our relationship than our crisis. Let that sink in for a minute. Jesus is more concerned about your relationship with him and his relationship with you than he is any crisis you're going through. And I can tell you that because I know that to be true. There have been times in my life where it has been dark and there have been crises, and I don't know about y'all, but I want that crisis solved. And what I do when I pray about it is I remember all those verses where Jesus healed people immediately, where Jesus took stuff immediately and did something miraculous and big and good. And I kind of forget about the other 99.9% of the Bible where it took time, right? I.e., all of Genesis is waiting. I.e., the entire Bible is about waiting because Jesus hasn't come back yet. Like waiting is the norm. And having a relationship with, with this Jesus-bought relationship with God as we wait is also the norm. And I know in those times where it's been dark, and I know this sounds cliche, but it is true, in those darkest times, Jesus has been the sweetest to me. When I've stopped and, and paid attention to that relationship, See, it's in those times of crisis where I've learned just how much Jesus knows me, how much he loves me, how much he likes me, and how much I can trust him. Let's look how this unfolds. It says in verse 23, And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. You see, I think this is the central point of this interaction between Jesus and the Father because this man is being honest with Jesus. And he's saying, listen, I believe, but gosh, I don't know how this works. I don't believe. I believe and help me in the parts where I don't believe. And this man is being honest right here in the middle of this crisis. And here's the deal. This isn't just his situation. We're gonna see it's the disciples' situation as well, which means it's also the situation that you and I find ourselves in often. We believe and we need help because we don't believe all at the same time. Now, what happens next shows us the heart of Jesus in dealing with our belief and unbelief all at the same time. Because here's what we might expect Jesus to say. Like, if you had never heard this story before, and you took what you think about God and placed it on God, depending on what you think about God, and, and probably depending on what you think about God is probably what most people think about God. If you didn't know this story, this, 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 this event in Scripture, you would think that because Jesus called them a faithless generation, because Jesus says, if you believe, like, if I can do this, what do you mean, if I can do this, that the next response that Jesus had would be like, well, if you believed, your son wouldn't have had this to begin with. If you had enough faith, I could do this. If, 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 and you expect Jesus to point a finger at this guy and scold him for his lack of belief, for his unbelief. But look at how Jesus responds. In verse 25, it says this. And when Jesus saw the crowd, 
saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you. Okay, here's what's fun. This spirit is mute, it can't talk, and it's deaf, it can't hear. But it hears Jesus' voice. Right? And he has complete control over it. And so he calls the spirit mute, and he calls it deaf, and then he commands the spirit, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. Remember how I said things will get worse before they get better? But they will get better for this father. This just got worse. Because the spirit came out, and now his little boy looks like he's dead. So dead, in fact, the crowd's going, oh, he, he, he's dead. He's dead. He's not moving. He's dead. And if you're the dad, you're listening to this crowd. And you're thinking, is my boy dead? And then this happens in verse 27. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. That's right. See, Jesus took him by the hand, this little boy that looked dead, this little boy that the crowd thought was dead, took him by the hand, and he stood up as good as new. Church, I want to tell you, whatever doubts that you have, whatever lingering questions you have, whatever real fears you have, they really are best suited for the hands of Jesus. Any other way, the crowd would say is dead but they are best suited for the hands of Jesus. Now here at Fellowship, we're a church centered on that gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus. And and if you're new to church, let me explain to you what that gospel is because a lot of people think their relationship with God is based on, on them doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing and they have these scales in their mind and if they do enough good and not enough bad that God will love them and like them and bestow blessings upon them. That is, is, is not only bad theology, it is unscriptural. That is not what the Bible says a relationship with God is like. Because what happened in the very beginning of your Bible is a thing called sin entered the world with Adam and Eve because they did what God told them not to do. And that sin created this separation between God and between man, and it created this barrier. And it's a barrier that man can't fix, right? It's, a, it's, it's as if we are on one side of the Grand Canyon and God is on the other side of the Grand Canyon and we can take all these pebbles that we find of our good deeds and good works and we can try and throw them into the Grand Canyon, but you could do that your entire life and never make a bridge tall enough to get you from one side to the other. But God, being merciful and kind, he provided a way because he loves you that much and wants to have a relationship with you that much that he provided a bridge across that chasm called sin. Because not only did Adam and Eve sin, you have been on board that train as well. You have sinned, I have sinned, we all have sinned. And he sent his son to earth and lived a perfect life who never sinned. And yet he died the death of a criminal. He died the death of one who did sin. So that when we finally come to this place where we realize that our faith isn't based on what we do, but on what Jesus did, right? That his perfect life 
gets this substitution for our imperfect life and we get the reward for his perfect life instead of the punishment for our imperfect life. And when we realize that this relationship with God is based on what Jesus did, not based on what we do, you become compelled to do something. You become compelled to say yes to Jesus and this is called salvation. And perhaps today is the day that you realize that Jesus' death was for you And you can say yes to this salvation that he offers. And maybe the first thing that you need to put into the hands of Jesus is you. And maybe today is the day that you can do that. Because it is that simple. If there is that compelling in your spirit, you just say yes, Jesus. Yes to what he did. Yes to his death and resurrection. Yes, Jesus. Now, many of us in this room have already done this. And maybe you're more like the disciples. Because watch this in verse 28. And when they had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So they've got this legitimate question. They're like, listen, we, we tried to do what you taught us to do. Uh, we took all the steps. But what exactly happened? Uh, because it didn't work. And I love Jesus' response because it's so simple. And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And some of your versions may have prayer and fasting. You see, Jesus' response exposes something. This father wasn't the only one who believed and didn't believe at the same time. So did the disciples. How do we know? Because of this. The simplest expression of faith, the simplest expression of belief is prayer. When you pray, you say, I'm not and I need. I can't and you can. That is the simplest expression of faith. And these disciples forgot about that. They were just working the steps, right? I wonder if there is this part of them where they actually thought, I got this. I've done this before. And Jesus lovingly reminds them, oh yeah, this one needs prayer. You know, as, as, as much as the disciples talked, as you read through the scriptures and you kind of get to know them a little bit, you know they were like, oh, yeah, prayer. That would have been great. Forgot about that one. See, when you pray, you are saying that you believe, you acknowledge that you need God, that you aren't Jesus and you need Jesus. This is belief unbelief keeps you from praying. You see, belief says, I'm not and I need. Unbelief says, I got this, I don't need. With unbelief, you think you don't need God. You think you can't trust God. You think that God doesn't care. But when you pray, you're saying that you believe, even if you don't understand everything, even if you don't believe everything. And the disciples just forgot to believe, just like you do, just like I do. We know this because they didn't pray. And so if you're a person who's already said yes to Jesus, here's the invitation for you today, that the resurrection is your invitation to believe again. The resurrection, the fact that Jesus died for you to give you this good and right relationship with God is your invitation to believe again. And for some of you, it could be your invitation to pray again. To pray again about that thing that you've stopped praying about. 
that where do you believe and not believe at the same time? For you today, what does it look like to pray with belief and unbelief all mixed in together? Maybe there's a big crisis that you have stopped praying about. You've given up on believing that God can and will do something because it's gotten worse and you haven't seen the better yet, but the better is coming. Or maybe most of us, it's probably not this big thing, it's probably these little things that we don't take it as an opportunity to exercise our faith. We don't take it as an opportunity to say, I'm not and I need. But y'all, our God knows the hair on our heads, the number of the hairs on our heads. And for some of you, he's been subtracting lately. I see that, right? I've got this fun view from up top. <laughs> right? But our God, he knows the smallest details. And those small details are great opportunities to express I'm not and I need. And last week in particular, I asked you to start praying about something that could be fairly big. I asked you to start praying about a person in your life who needs to meet Jesus again. A person in your life who, who, who needs to hear this gospel of good news that God doesn't just love them, God likes them because of Jesus. And that that God is a God that they can bring their belief and unbelief together all at the same time. And he doesn't condemn them, he welcomes them. And he holds them in their hands. And I asked you to, to be praying about who that person is and what we're gonna do today as part of a response to this message is we're all gonna believe and unbelieve all at the same time together about who those people are in your life who need to meet Jesus again. And at the end of your row is a stack of paper. It looks like this. It has unsubscribed on it. And what I'd like you to do is to write the name of that person on here. And when I finish praying for us, I want us to, you to bring that person up here and set it in the, in the little metal tub up here. And the worship team's gonna come up here and give, give some little music in the background as we all shuffle around and, and put this in here. And so, so pass that down the row and there's pens there and I want you to write the name of that person. And listen, for some of you, you might write your own name down on here because you need to meet Jesus again. That's great. And I invite you to be that honest and know that we have a prayer team and the staff that are gonna be praying over these and praying for them. And I've got three that I'm putting in there, Barry, Jeremy, and Colby. Barry has been a friend of mine for, for 10 years now. I met him when we office downtown. Jeremy is this guy at a coffee shop that's my second office, and Colby is unfortunately the guy at the auto place because I have to take my cars in so much. We've developed a very strong relationship. But each of these men that God has placed them in my life, and they don't know Jesus. And I want them to. I want them to meet Jesus again and again and again until they place themselves in his hands. And so let me pray for you and you can bring those papers down and then we'll go into our last song of worship here in a bit after everybody's brought them down. Jesus, um, we come to you in our belief and our unbelief and, and we come to you knowing that your hands are open wide for us. And God, I ask um, for this church, I ask for this congregation to place those beliefs and unbeliefs and those doubts and those fears and those lingering questions in your hand and also in your hand to place this person, whoever it is in their life, a person that needs to meet Jesus again. And God, I also ask you to do amazing things in these people's lives. 
draw them to you in ways that, that bring you glory, ways that only you could be working. And God, I pray that you would show yourself to them as the God that you are. Not the God that they think you are, but the God that you are, and that they would fall in love with you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.